Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, sports columnist with the Louisville Courier Journal. On this episode of the show, I have with me Fiesta Bowl Executive Director and CEO Eric Moses. And also joining me from the Courier Journal, I have University of Louisville men's basketball beat writer Brooks Holton to break down what's going on with the cards here recently. Uh, But before we jump into all of that, I have a little CL sounds off inspired by the recent decisions by the college football playoff. Remember when defense wins championships was a thing? Like it actually was a mantra anyone who played football believed in because before the game bent all of its rules towards offense and scoring, it was actually possible to win titles based on a team with a dominating defense. Kind of why Jeff Hostetler has a Super Bowl ring and Hall of Famer Dan Marino doesn't. I take that walk down memory lane as my main disagreement with the college football playoff committee leaving Florida State out. Obviously, the injury to starting quarterback Jordan Travis impacted the Seminoles. I mean, nobody is doubting that. And they're not the same team without Travis under center. Of course, they they wouldn't be. Who, who (laughs) Who would remain the same without their starting quarterback? Very, very few teams have that kind of a depth. Uh, at the position but the Seminoles are a team they can win in more ways than just having a dynamic quarterback that hurts opponents passing and running and they proved that obviously in the ACC championship game against Louisville with the third string quarterback who had never played before as a true freshman but the defense was so stifling it never brought into account that they were starting a third string true freshman who had never started before. So go back and look at what FSU did against LSU if you're so inclined. And LSU just happens to have probably the front runner for the Heisman Trophy and quarterback Jaden Daniels. Um, We'll find that out a little bit later this month, but he's been a dynamic player all season. And in the season opener against Florida State, the Knowles held him to his worst complete completion percentage. They're the only team to hold him to one touchdown pass. And that pass came to 75 yard scoring pass that came with a minute 15 left in the game. So basically they're getting blown out and Brian Kelly is trying to do some window dressing. So when people look back at the score, it wouldn't seem as bad 
and 45 to 24 is still a beatdown, <laughs> you know, but it's better than 45 to 17. So uh, Florida State was the only team um, to hold LSU to 25 or fewer. Um, so essentially, all those SEC quote unquote powerhouse defenses and powerhouse squads that LSU went up against they put up points without problem they put up points and they would have put up more LSU would have put up more against Alabama I think that score ended up being 42 to 28 but you know uh, Daniels was knocked out of the game early in the fourth quarter um, you know by a hit uh, I guess it was concussion-like symptoms or, or what have you I, I don't even remember exactly the injury that got him pulled but the point is they would have scored more had he played the full game so no one even came close to duplicating what Florida State did defensively to LSU throughout their play in the SEC so I bring all that up to ask this question of the committee why is offense always the most heavily weighted metric in determining who are the best teams I mean, a week ago, it looked like Oregon would run past Washington in the Pac-12 title game. The Ducks, you want to talk about offense? The Ducks had beaten the common opponents that they had with Washington in the Pac-12 by an average of 27 points compared to the Huskies winning those against those same opponents just by nine points. A lot of pundits pointed to the regular season matchup. Washington won by three at home. Uh, for all the mistakes Oregon made, um, their head coach Dan Lenning went for it on fourth down a couple of times. I think, I think inside the ten yard line, if I'm not mistaken, um, definitely inside the red zone, came away with no points, and still Oregon had a chance to tie the game at the end and missed the field goal as time expired. So everybody was pointing at like, okay, Oregon did all this; they're going to clean it up and they're going to mop the floor with Washington. Uh, in Vegas in the Pac-12 title game. And even the Vegas odd makers figured that too. They had the Ducks as a nine and a half point favorite going into that game. So thankfully the committee didn't have to choose last week or Oregon would have skipped past Washington into the playoffs. But instead, as we saw happened on the field, the Huskies beat them down and earned their spot in the college football playoffs. Florida State should have been afforded that same uh, respect and uh, and just been allowed as they beat Louisville deep by a defense that was smothering in the ACC championship game. Uh, they should have been awarded a spot in the college football playoff as an undefeated team in a Power Five conference, who, by the way, also is 2-0 against the SEC with wins against LSU and their in-state rival, Florida. Uh, in Gainesville in the final final game of the regular season with their backup quarterback. Florida State was not Iowa, folks. They actually had playmakers on offense like receiver Keon Coleman, who will probably be in the NFL next season. So, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where in taking Alabama, I think the SEC once again, once again, hoodwinked America into believing it was the best conference this season. Admission into the college football playoffs shouldn't be a lifetime achievement award. You can't admire Bama this week for beating Georgia 
after admonishing them last week for needing a miracle 31-yard touchdown pass on the final play to beat a very average Auburn squad. I could go on, you know, (laughs) I could really go on, but you've probably heard enough from just about every angle this week on why Florida State should or should not have been admitted. Uh, This is my presentation on why they should have. And I think I will leave it alone there. But just just remember, folks, defense wins games, too. And it shouldn't always be. Teams shouldn't be judged only by how their offense plays. It's a team game after all. But that's it for Sounds Off. We're going to move on to Fiesta Bowl Executive Director and CEO Eric Moses. Now, just just to let my listeners know right quick, um, this isn't I I go back 30 years with Eric. So even though we're all with the formalities now, like this is my man, this is my frat brother. Uh, We went to undergrad together. Um, He is older than me and I I I seek his wisdom often. So uh, with with all of that being said, I don't I don't want to gas you up too much because you know because <laughs> I still uh, I still have to clown you at some point later on just to bring you back down to earth but <laughs> I wanted to jump in with obviously the the hot topic from Sunday's selection show of the the college football playoff was Florida State being left out Alabama and Texas jumping up both four spots to be included in the four-team playoff with Michigan and with uh, Washington. And I just wanted to get your your opinion and your thoughts on uh, how that selection, you know, if, if obviously it'll be a moot point when it's 12 teams next year and maybe the 13th team will have a beef, you know, there's always something like that. But um how do you feel about how this was this came to be how the selection came to be i mean what was was this a fair process in, in your mind or was it uh you know did we need more transparency did there need to be um does florida state need to be in this 14 playoff well let me start off by saying that um i have a lot of respect for what the uh college football playoff selection committee goes through I had the opportunity a couple months ago to go down to Grapevine and sit in that room uh, where they spend hours upon hours watching football games, grading different teams on a number of factors, and then going through the process that the selectors use in order to rank those teams from 1 to 25. Uh, It's grueling. There's a lot to consider. And uh, and these these are football folks um and and you know at least one person from the media and so i think there is a process that is set up to provide the amount of rigor that you would want around the ranking and selection of of the teams that end up in that top 25 so i feel like their process is strong um and it's a good process having gone through it myself there's always going to be someone who feels like they're on the outside looking in, e- even in the NCAA tournament. You know, there was there was always that 65th or 66th team that felt like they were going to be in. So no matter how big the pool gets, there will always be a program or several that feel like they that they were snubbed. 
Uh, and that's certainly the case now. Now, do I feel like Florida State might have a, a, a greater reason to feel that? Of course. They, I mean, they're from a Power Five conference. They're undefeated, uh, worked through great amount of adversity, uh, losing Jordan Travis and and kind of not not skipping a beat, continuing to win and prove it on the field. Um, so I I sympathize with them a great deal. Uh, but what I will tell you is there has been one conference during kind of certainly the CFP era and maybe even before that with BCS that has been really dominant. And we all know that's the Southeastern Conference. And so I think they naturally come into this process being seen as, it, if not the most difficult conference and the most competitive conference, certainly one of the top two. And so I think teams from that league are going to, whether consciously or, or subconsciously for the, for the selectors, they're going to they're going to get a, a nod on certain things because of that, um, and I think that's probably what happened there. I will say that you've heard a lot of conversation about the status of the quarterbacks for Florida State. We're not having this conversation if, if Jordan Travis is healthy, right? Like everybody can agree to that. We're not we're not having this conversation if he's healthy. Yeah, but then you have your 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 second string quarterback go out. And in your conference championship game, your freshman quarterback throws for 55 yards. Right? So, you know, to some extent, I think the selection committee is trying to make certain that the teams certainly that are in the playoff are evenly matched as possible um, and hopefully trending in the same direction. Right. You want teams that are going to be trending in the same direction in terms of um in terms of you know what they're doing uh, at this stage of the season, uh, and I think they felt like Alabama and um, and Texas were trending in the right direction. We're showing strength and, and dominance, and certainly Alabama beating Georgia, a Georgia team that <laughs> seemingly had lost in almost three years, um, is a really strong statement. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the SEC brand over the past few years, because it's confirmation of what I just said in my sound off segment in terms of this isn't a lifetime achievement award. This should be based on this season. And I think the SEC, the brands of the SEC, I do think it's a subconscious thing that people have just been uh, committee members included, just been bombarded with uh, the results of the past, of course, but, that this is the best conference. I just didn't think they were the best conference this year. Um, and I think some of the results, you know, uh, lended to that being the ACC beat them six to four in head to head matches. Um, I'm not trying to relitigate it <laughs> while we're talking here. Uh, I just, you know, it, it, it's just funny to me that I feel like people disregarded the actual results and it's still just kind of in their mind that this is the brand and this is what we go with. But um, well, I think wanna... about it this way. I think that, and, and I don't disagree and I have no dog in the fight, but I, I think that most people, most observers, and certainly those that have, have followed college football closely over the last three years, felt like Georgia was a premier program in the country. If not the, certainly one of the top two. 
Um, and having Alabama beat them made such a strong statement that I think selectors thought they needed to be included. Well, at the point where you determine that Alabama has to be included, then Texas has to be included because yeah. Texas beat Alabama yeah. in yeah. Tuscaloosa. Right. So, so in my mind, they were always a pair. I, I couldn't I couldn't see a scenario in which one, one of those got in, left certainly out. not in which Alabama got in and Texas didn't get in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we knew that Michigan as the Big Ten champ and Washington as the Pac-12 champ were locks. So yeah. at that point, then you you have that pair and, and, and FSU is going to be the odd man out. And unfortunately, and I feel terrible for Jordan and for those kids, unfortunately, there was a, a easy reason to kind of hang your doubts on Florida State's ability to compete at this high level in that playoff. Because of the the lack of a of a steady quarterback there. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I wanted to get into how you know at the Fiesta Bowl, and and I, I'm I'm assuming there's a same kind of process for all of the New Year's Six bowls um, to go through. But um, how much of an input you have on your draw in a year where you're not included in? Um, you're not hosting one of the semifinal games this year. So the Oregon Liberty matchup, do, do you guys have much, you know, is, is there a back and forth? We always, you know, kind of see the jackets in, at the ACC championship with, with Louisville. You know, after the game, I saw the Orange Bowl representatives out, you know, and they were talking with Josh Hurd, the, the Louisville AD, um, in case the scenario presented itself where Florida state was going to the football playoff, then Louisville would have been a viable candidate for that orange bowl. But it, how, how much do you guys actually, you know, have a say in it and how much of it is already kind of predetermined by this, the setup and the agreements that you have in place? Yeah, we don't have a say. Um, the, again, the, the process that the CFP relies on, uh, is run by their their electors. They rank the teams from one to twenty five, and then they slot them into into all of the the New Year's Six bowls. Um, because we are, because we make up kind of the playoff system. Even in an off year where we're a host game this year, they're still slotting those teams for us. So we had no say in the matter. Um, you know, we're excited about our matchup. Our bowl game has been one historically. That has provided some some matchups that that people rarely see on on the field, and some surprising, and in many cases, some surprising outcomes. Uh, whether it was TCU beating Michigan last year, or Boise State, you know, coming to prominence by beating Oklahoma uh, that uh, year. that that was the one to me that <laughs> that stood out in my mind as soon as you said that. That was the one that kind of, uh, I mean, Boise was a little on the map anyway before that, but that really punctuated that this was legitimate program um kind of in the same way uh gonzaga basketball earned its legitimacy after after years of you know just kind of uh being the the cute if you will mid-major team i, I think boise state and the fiesta bowl will, will kind of forever be in, intertwined in that in that respect um yeah we think liberty has the same opportunity this year you know, they 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 have the opportunity to prove on the field that they can play with the big boys, as it were. And um, and, and we're going to see. I mean, I, I think everyone who's writing them off and saying that this is such a, a mismatch, 
might be missing the point of why we play the games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they have the leading rushing offense in the country. They had a defense that produced 21 interceptions this year. Um, you know, that school has something to prove. I saw their commissioner from Conference USA last night at a reception here at the National Football Foundation um, event. And, uh, you know, she and others said that, you know, that team is a, is a strong team. Can they play with Oregon? I don't know. We'll see. But that's why we lace them up, and that's why we let the guys, let the guys determine it on the field. Yeah, and it should be pointed out, Oregon was a nine-and-a-half-point favorite against Washington last so, week. Everybody thought that that was a, a done deal, the way Oregon had, you know, I mean, they finished the season strong, you know, so I, I, I thought they would uh, probably win, but I did take Washington to cover <laughs> in that game. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the expansion, the 12-team playoff expansion, how much does the individual bowl game, like the Fiesta Bowl, how much do you give up to be a part of that expansion? Um, I wouldn't say that we give up a whole lot. I mean, once the, the New Year's Six Bowls decided to be a part of and participate in the college football playoff. And originally that was a, a rotation between the six of us. Every three years you would get a semifinal. Um, now we benefit from the expansion because every year will be either a quarterfinal or a semifinal. And so we'll always be in the playoff system. So I say, if you think about the New Year's Six games now, we, we will constitute the playoff system next year save for the first round games uh, that will be hosted by uh, teams, you know, five, six, seven, and eight. Uh, those teams will host games on campuses and then nine, 10, 11, and 12 will go to those campuses to play those first round games. And then, and, and we'll know who of the top four that received a buy have been slotted into, into our bowls and then two of us will have a semifinal. So next year, or 2024, the Verbo Fiesta Bowl is the first ever quarterfinal. And then 2025, we will be uh, a semifinal again. Gotcha, gotcha. Are, are you allowed to make predictions? <laughs> I was going to put you on the spot to see who you think is going to come out with the national championship after all is said and done. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I have a lot of sway or any influence, so I, I you know, I, I can, I can prognosticate like anybody else can. <laughs> I guess as as useless as anyone else's prognostications <laughs> and projections. Um, you know, I think Michigan feels in a lot of ways like the most complete team in the country. Um, I like J.J. McCarthy. I love their running game with Blake Corum uh, and Edwards. Uh, I think they're a mature team. I think they're a team that's playing with a chip on its shoulder because they feel like they're being picked on um, by by college football. Uh, and I think they feel like they have something to prove. I know that they're extremely disappointed by what occurred in our game last year uh, and the loss to TCU. And then, and as you can imagine, then sitting at home, watching a national championship game where Georgia just blitzkrieged TCU in a way that I'm sure the Michigan kids felt like they would have shown up better. Um, 
and I don't know whether that's true or not, because, you know, as I like to say to people, if Georgia does Georgia things, these are the kinds of results that we get. Um, but I feel like the combination of all those things uh, may be that fire inside the Michigan team that that propels them to a national championship this year. Okay. okay. Well, there it is, folks. Um, and uh, from from my experience with Eric, he's usually not wrong. <laughs> about things I even more, more mainly unrelated to sports just about life this man yeah don't have anybody placing any bets based on what I, <laughs> I don't want that smoke no doubt but uh and my Louisville listeners will also you know uh so, some a certain segment of it, the older part um will also remember Louisville's trip to play in the Fiesta Bowl back in 1991 uh where they beat Alabama shut down Alabama's offense and their current head coach, Jeff Brom was a backup quarterback to Browning Nagel on that squad. And uh, I believe he came in and played in that game. So a little bit of, a little bit of connection here, uh, Fiesta and, and Louisville. Well, Eric, I appreciate you joining the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. And uh, enjoy that holiday bowl. That should be a, uh, a good matchup. We'll see see what they do. Certainly, was pleased to see Louisville returning to prom- prominence this year in this year's football season. I know Coach Brom has been doing a great job, and people are very high uh, on him. Now to talk a little brown ball. Joining the show, I have with me Brooks Holton. He is the Courier Journal's University of Louisville men's basketball beat writer. Brooks, thanks for joining in. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. First time on the show. <laughs> yes, first, yes. First of many more, I'm, I'm sure. Um, we're going to jump right into the ACC opener. UofL lost at Virginia Tech. It, it was a game that was that was basically tightly contested. You know, uh, what was it? Louisville had a one point lead at halftime, yeah. and you know they just couldn't couldn't close out. Kind of like the Indiana and Texas games in in New York City. Um, where the 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 win was on the table, um, but they couldn't close. But I I hate to sound like I'm talking moral victories here, Brooks. But I I wanted to get your perspective as someone who covered the team last season as well. What improvements have you seen? What do you feel like are the definitive areas this this team and program has gotten better from last year to this year? Oh, we just start with this. I mean, it's definitely fight, right? I mean, there were times last season when teams would go on runs like you would see against, you know, Texas or, you know, even against some of like the mid-major teams that they've come back to beat so far this season, we would see them go on some runs um, and they would get down, you know, guys would start hanging their heads and they would basically just roll over um, and quit. So, you know, you know, the fact that they've been able to win, you know, a three of their four games have been a second half comebacks. <clears throat> you know, that's definitely a sign of progress in that, you know, these guys, um, you know, they're not going to quit like until the final buzzer. Um, you know, now on the flip side of that, the fact that you need to have the second half comebacks against some of the teams that they've been playing tightly contested games against, yeah. you know, that's definitely a sign that, you know, they haven't made enough progress, but um, I mean, that's certainly a step in the right direction. And then, you know, um, just I think like the talent level is more balanced. Um, you know, last year was a lot of L. Ellis doing everything himself. Um, and then you had like Mike James coming on strong at the end. And now it's kind of a mix of, you know, it's just a matter of trying to get everybody 
um, everybody, um, I'm more involved in the game in some ways and just making sure that everybody picks it up on defense as well. Yeah. So how do you feel like, I mean, it's, it's a small sample size with Virginia tech. And I think the, I think they are going through their own kind of struggles to um, right now, Virginia tech, but does it seem, are you based on this early start? Are you more encouraged or less encouraged that, they they can you know be competitive um in the ACC like like it's not going to be like last year as as you alluded to early like you know just watching games get away and then it's over yeah i was just thinking about this before i hopped on i feel like so so far this team has been one that plays to the level of its competition i feel like that this game needs to be um kind of like a kind of like a, the last time we see that to where it's like they need to bring this effort uh, consistently every game right because you know on saturday they're going to play a team in depaul that's you know one of the worst in the power conferences in terms of kinpom ranking and whatever and they really can't afford to uh to uh to uh to uh, play down to their opponent in that you know and i think yeah. i think that this game showed hey we can go on the road in acc play and look pretty good um you know second half they kind of just didn't have enough to make the comeback. You know, they had some lapses on defense. They let a guy and I'm MJ Collins, who I pulled it up. He didn't make a three pointer all season heading into Sunday's game. He went three for three, oh, wow. um, finished with a career high 20 points. Um, before that, the most he had scored this season was six. So, you know, you have some lapses uh, defensively there. Uh, I, I thought that uh, Virginia's text big was getting a ton of easy baskets down low um, in this one. So, you know, I think that this is like the last game where they should be, you know, considered at playing up to an opponent. Like we've seen that they can, you know, th- that they can match like a mid-level um, ACC team um, with their effort. You just got to put the pieces together, right? Because you can't really go into these last couple of uh, non-conference games. And I feel like play closely contested games against these, you know, the teams that are on the, you know, um, besides Kentucky, right? Like there are some teams that they need to show that they can have a consistent game against. Otherwise, you know, the, you know, the next few months of ACC play is going to be pretty rough. If that makes sense. Uh, I was going to mention Kentucky. So Louisville's at DePaul on Saturday. They have Arkansas State and Pepperdine sprinkled in over. You know, I, I'm not even sure when their exams in and when they're out, but uh, between between now and the UK game on the 21st of December. Um, which I mean, with Kentucky losing at home to UNC Wilmington and previously being pushed by St. Joe's at home, I, I kind of feel like when you said, you know, they played in a competition, I think UK is experiencing a little bit of that too. And I, I, I call me crazy, Brooks. I think that game on the 21st might be more competitive than, than people originally would expect it to be. Uh, kind of based on that, but we'll we'll have plenty of time to to chop that up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm not I'm not ready to make that statement yet. Uh, just you know, um, just that uh, judging by how UK played against the Miami, but I mean, if there's anything that's going to be working in their favor at Louisville, it'll be that that's the best crowd that the Yum Center will have all season. Um, you know, maybe there'll be quite a bit of blue in there, but um, if there is a game for them to come out and have a good start like they did. On Sunday against Virginia Tech, um, I think you know that's definitely 
definitely a key game for them just in terms of putting up a fight and not rolling over like we saw last year. Yeah, one one additional thing I wanted to ask was if uh, if you have a, an update on the status of Dennis Evans. I know he was out for the Virginia Tech game. Yeah, I asked Kenny about that after the game. He just said that he didn't know much about it. He said that I was in the hands of uh, the medical staff, but he didn't know how long it'd be. But he was hoping it wouldn't become uh, wouldn't become like an extended absence. That'll do it for another episode of the C.L. Brown Show. Once again, I'd like to thank my guests for joining me, Brooks Holton from the Courier-Journal and Eric Moses, the Executive Director and CEO of the Fiesta Bowl. If you like what you hear, please click on those subscribe buttons, leave a five-star review, because we need to spread more love in this world. And I need to feel the love sometimes, too, you know? Otherwise, just sit back, relax, wait till next Wednesday for another episode to drop. I'll catch you later. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.